Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome. We're finally getting underway with episode number 179 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I am Russ K5TUX, and out in gloomy gray sky and snowy country is Bill NE4RD. Good evening, everyone. And we also have sitting across from me, as always, well, not as always, but as recent, Cheryl. No, I've always been here. It's just no, you haven't yet. always been there. <clears throat> yeah, no, not not part of the podcast, but I've always been in the chat race. Yeah, generally speaking. Yeah, I was herding chickens and roosters, but that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it happens. So there you go. All right. So since we're starting, uh, what is it? Two weeks uh, and an hour and twenty three minutes late. Yeah. Well, this time it was mostly Cheryl's fault that we were late. <laughs> it, it actually always is. We just don't say it. Oh, no. Let's not even go there. Uh, last time this happened, I asked you to read the first story, and you said, no, I can't do that. So, yeah, because there was a lot of uh, call signs and jargon, remember? And you were like, oh, I can't read that. Is that when Bill was gone for That was when Bill Halloween? was gone, right. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That was in the, the two-meter uh, distance thing. Yes. Yep. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Bill has been resurrected. Yes, he's yeah, back. I, I'm, I'm, back from the grave. Risen. So how's the afterlife? It's it's amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> if it is, how come you came back? <laughs> no, you no, no, no. We had a, had a great time. Halloween was great. And of course, uh, you guys just uh, celebrated uh, a big anniversary. Oh, yeah, 17 years. 17 whole years of stuff, I guess. Wow. <laughs> Excuse me while I go pack my bags, because apparently he wants yeah. me gone. <laughs> I think my wife and I are hitting uh, 19 years this year. All right. Very good. Ooh. Yep. Almost the big 2-0. We'll see. <laughs> I got to actually think and do something for that one, right? <laughs> well, see, and they haven't killed each other yet, so there's hope for us, I maybe. All right, there's hope for everybody, I think. And they have kids. That just adds more stress yeah. to it. We have kids, too. Yeah, they have four legs and bark all the freaking time. Although, we should probably move on because, yeah, Yeah. they're not doing it right now. So, (laughs) anyway, let's talk about uh, 915 megahertz. Let Bill do it since he missed last time. All right, yeah. Put that amateur radio license to use on 915 megahertz. Amateur radio enthusiasts in the U.S. will be interested in Faraday, an open source digital radio that runs on 915 megahertz which uh, amateur radio enthusiasts may know better as the 33-centimeter band. There's a couple boards. I found another one today. I was uh, uh, messing around on, uh, God, I don't even remember Twitter or something like that, and I, I put that one in the show notes as well. Um, basically, it's a couple of little uh, little starter boards for uh, pretty much anything on the ISM band, um, the Industrial Scientific and Medical you know, Exemption under that license, as well as you know, amateur radio. We operate in the 900 megahertz band. But yeah, this uh, this box here from uh, Faraday, which was featured on Hackaday, is basically set up to do digital uh, digital radio 
I don't think it does uh, sideband or anything else like that. So if you're looking at weak signal work beyond uh, digital, it's probably not the right thing for you. But it is a platform to uh, do stuff with. It is completely uh, open source uh, hardware and, I believe, software. Um, there's also another one out there from um, uh, Enhanced Radio Devices LLC. It's a 900 megahertz Explorer board for Edison, which I think is the uh, the Intel platform, right? <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, you know Intel's uh, Pi or Arduino or whatever you want to call it board. <laughs> Their version of uh, the little play board and stuff like that. This is a, a shield for doing um, 900 megahertz work as well. And I think this one falls uh, falls under the ISM uh, licensing as well. So you do not have to have an amateur radio license to operate this. However, if you wanted to exceed the uh, ISM limits and be in band, you, pops, uh, you possibly could drop an amp on it or whatever you want to do. But, uh, yeah, it looks like uh, there's some interesting stuff coming up for uh, a band that not many people I know have used. But, uh, you know, it's still used a lot in the weak signal and contesting and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not aware of anyone in my uh, sphere of influence, I guess, that, that uses 33 centimeters at all for anything. <laughs> Unless it's, um, I think part of the band is used for uh, licensed Wi-Fi, I think. Um, I think there's some licensed Wi-Fi in 900 somewhere. Possibly. I think some of the point-to-point providers can sell you uh, equipment that, that operates uh, point-to-point or point-to-multipoint in 900 megahertz band. Uh, obviously not in the ISM band somewhere else, but uh, yeah, they're probably up higher. I think there's a se- sector of it. Probably was once for uh, cellular. I think cellular still uses it as like a backup band or something like that. Yeah, cellular used to do a lot of their trunking stuff in the 800 and 900 and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, anyway, you know, some interesting stuff coming out. I saw like, I saw the one a few weeks, uh, well, probably a month ago now, and and then I saw this one again. I was like, well, that's interesting. I I thought I just read about the- <laughs> I just read about that one. So, uh, yeah, oh, well, there it is. You know, if you're interested in it and uh, like to tinker around with stuff, it's, it's out there. All right, very good. And also, there's uh, an HF communications relay satellite called, or CubeSat, called HFSat. Uh, and this is a project to demonstrate the viability of HF satellite communications as a backup communication system uh, using existing <laughs> ubiquitous HF radios that are uh, usually a part of the communication suite on all small mobile platforms such as the ham radio mobiles and portable operations frequently used by amateurs in support of disaster and emergency response communications hf sat will be gravity gradient stabilized by its long full-size 10 meter band half wave hf dipole antenna with tip masses as shown here at left which you can't actually see and neither can <laughs> i because i didn't bother clicking on the link so <laughs> oh yeah there it is you go to the uh, link that will be in the show notes you can see the way this is set up HFSAT will continue with long, uh, continue the long tradition of small amateur satellites designed by aerospace students at the U.S. Naval Academy. Uh, uplink is 21.4 meg and downlink 29.42 meg. So um, this is kind of interesting uh, to me. I didn't really get a chance to look through this, but most of the time when you're talking about satellite communications, you use uh, like 2 meter or 70 centimeter because since the satellite is in orbit, you don't generally need an antenna or a, a band that allows for long propagation because you pretty much always have line of sight when they're overhead. We used to have mode A. That used to be a popular one. Two meters up and uh, 10 meters down. 
uh, says, you know, one who has never done any satellite work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is on the old RS birds and stuff like that. So this would be like RS 10 and 11, RS 15, I think RS 12 as well. Are, are any of those still live? Uh, 15 apparently is still alive somewhat out there, but uh, I think everything else is burned up. I don't, I don't think it actually works, though. I think maybe you can hear a telemetry heartbeat or something like that. You can always go to APRS.org and, and, and take a look. <laughs> well, I know when it comes to looking at things like G-Predict, you, get, you can go and see, like, the very, very long list of amateur satellites, only of which, like, 17 are still actually have active transponders. <laughs> yeah. Well, that uh, that list is, is continuing to grow with all these little CubeSats that they keep on throwing up in space. So so have you worked satellite lately? I haven't used it since I was on Mode A, so... <laughs> 1990s was probably the last time I was on a satellite. I have the the weak signal gear here to do it. I just uh, I don't have anything plugged into it. Seems like a constant thing with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have my HF radios plugged in. That's about all I ever mess with. I actually have a, a bag of pot. Oh, uh, sorry, pots. <laughs> <laughs> pots on my desk here to fix my. Uh, I have the Kenwood twins. I have the uh, TR-751A and the 851A. Uh, they're the 2-meter 440 all-mode rigs um, that were real popular back then. And, of course, it has the uh, the pot failure on it. So, like, the squelch goes out and the RF gain goes out. So you have to replace them. And nobody makes them anymore. But apparently uh, some CB manufacturer has made one close enough that uh, you can slide this in without it looking like it's a, a, a Frankenstein job like my current one does where I have – a wire coming out the front of it with a couple of uh, pots kind of soldered in and <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a Frankenstein setup. Yeah. So, well, but it works, um, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an interesting thing, you know, HF satellite up and down, you know, got 15 uplink and, uh, and, and 10 down. And I believe it's not going to be inverted. So you won't flip from, you know, upper sideband to lower sideband or something like that like that but yeah it could could be interesting and you know we got that other satellite too uh that they're talking about the um the new stationary uh, repeater uh, i think that's gonna be d star or something like that we a few times ago so yeah hf on satellite another thing you can try in your amateur radio experience if you show desire and the link of course will be in the show notes which i keep clicking on <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've also got a story here about amateur radio being uniquely situated to be at the leading edge again, conferees told. Is this like conference goers? Is that what conferees are? I'm going to guess that, yes. Yeah, this is one of Gary's things. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would appreciate it. I thought you had listened to it already. <laughs> oh, I haven't he listened to it. He hasn't had time. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm trying to get back into podcast listening, but it's it's very difficult for me, so... This one, you know, the, the dawn of so-called smart or cognitive radio has presented the amateur radio with an opportunity to regain the leading edge in radio technology in the near future. So basically, this was a, the, the Spectrum uh, Conference. Uh, this was at, which one, the tape, Taper Conference? Yeah, the Taper Digital Conference, Communications Conference. And there's three-part series uh, that the show notes links to. The third one uh, gets to the, the meteor parts of what the guy's talking about. And they're talking about cognitive radio. Basically, the radio decides what is the best mode or communication mechanism to get your signal to the other side, which sounds all handy dandy. But you know, you're talking about this works great in uh, in either commercial or or government type thing, not necessarily amateur radio. 
only because you know we have dispersed gear in every shack and plugged into every antenna and you know having something that magically selects a mode and everything else is probably i don't think it's so far out but you know because you already have digital uh, repeaters that kind of do that but it's probably more limited than you know the moonshot that they talk about yeah i'm just trying to take in this the idea of this not, it's not always best to automate everything anyway because then then you get into situations where you can't you can't get out of doing something a certain way because it's been auto configured <laughs> and yeah. you know it's kind of like skype you can't unscrew it up <laughs> right yeah because it's doing its own thing that just doesn't work <laughs> and screw you if you want to try and fix it right yeah 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 it only screws me so <laughs> actually right now you sound fantastic so we should probably move on to the next story <laughs> uh the, the next one is uh and this one you have to kind of go see for yourself i, I just put it in here because uh i saw the link from uh charlie uh it's called club nightmares uh charlie m0pzt is kind of uh producing or i don't know doing something with this but basically uh they're uh taking uh kitchen nightmares with uh what's the guy's name kitchen ramsey. nightmares gordon, oh, gordon ramsey. ramsey yeah yeah so basically they're taking a bunch of of uh samples of ramsey cussing and, <laughs> and everything else uh as he goes and explores clubs in the area and <laughs> you could kind of uh, figure out where this goes I just suggest listen to the first three little uh, blurbs he's got in there. I don't know where he's taking it or what he's going to do with it, but so far it's it's pretty hilarious. All right, I'm going to check that out. Sounds like a fun little thing to look at, but yeah, I'd say if you put it on here, you'd have to censor it out to <laughs> <laughs> out the wazoo. All right, it would be a lot of censoring. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, censoring's a pain in my ass, so I'm not going to bother with that. <laughs> But yeah, go go listen to it for yourselves on your own time where we don't have to bleep everything. So that works fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> All right, good deal. So we're going to move on to our open source segments for tonight and it looks like Budgie is now an official Ubuntu flavor, which is really cool cuz Budgie is a fantastic desktop for for Linux. Um and after two successful major releases, Budgie Remix has finally been accepted as an official Ubuntu flavor. Uh, during a meeting where four members of Canonical's Ubuntu technical board voted positively. Uh, there were no negative votes or abstentions, so it was unanimous. Unanimous for Ubuntu. Unanimous. Unanimous, that's right. Unan- <laughs> it's unanimous for Ubuntu. Uh, as yes. such, uh, Ubuntu is happy to inform its readers, uh, well, uh, the article obviously from Softpedia, they're happy to inform their readers, and we're happy to inform you as well that uh, Ubuntu Budgie is now a thing. So I'm going to have to check that out. I actually have a machine here that I need to reinstall um, because I put a new video card in it. And Ubuntu does a weird thing where if you install with uh, one video card and then boot it up with another video card, in this case an NVIDIA-based chip, um, yeah. it goes into it basically just goes into a reboot loop. Oh, so yeah. You should have uninstalled the driver that you had there first. Was it ATI before? No, it was an Intel. It's an Intel driver. Yeah. Um, oh, it should have been generic enough. Yeah, which I thought would have worked. And I I went in and actually changed the boot the boot line and and put in no in a, a uh, put in no mode set and that got it to boot up. Um, but it just needs to be redone anyway. So I think I'm going to redo it with Ubuntu Budgie. Or is that yeah? Boot, I, is use, that, I use Budgie all the time. It's Bougie, right? Ubuntu Bougie. 
Uh, I don't know. It's Bungie. <laughs> no, all, all the in Ubuntu, all the oos are oo. Bungie. Yeah, that's right. It's Bungie. Bungie. <laughs> Ubuntu Bungie. Yeah. No, I don't know. All right. Well, we stole it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so loose. So loose. <laughs> so all right. So talk about uh, Munich. <laughs> Munich. So yeah, this is one of the older stories here. Uh, the open source pioneer Munich debates report that suggests abandoning Linux for Windows 10. As an open-source software pioneer, Munich spends, spent years moving away from Windows, but now politicians are debating a report that suggests the city could eventually abandon Linux. And this is just, I don't know, I kind of felt it was, it was almost a, a FUD article, or you know, you, you always hear this back and forth. It, you know, municipalities are going to do whatever it takes to keep their bottom lines down and uh, make sure they're, they're not, uh, you know, Totally torching the uh, taxpayers' money. <laughs> yeah, and it seemed like and, Germany. Uh, was... I don't see how you know at this point switching anything would be advantageous since they've you know I think they took like six or seven years to kind of finally roll into Linux, and that was that was several years ago now. And like I was going to say, Germany seems like they are a country that is big into the adoption of Linux, actually, uh, especially with SUSE coming from there and a lot of other municipalities uh, switching over to Linux in the past. We've done several stories about it, so it's kind of interesting that Munich is going the other way. They have 20,000 Linux-based PCs used by staff alongside of uh, 4,100 Windows-based PCs. Blah, blah, blah. Probably Windows, sounds like a business software cannot run on anything else. So, yeah, they have vendor lock-in issues, and that's that's probably what drives most people's Okay, so that's choices. a non-story, then. If it's vendor lock-in, I mean, what are you supposed to do? I mean, Yeah, yeah. So, Well, everything should be just cloud-based, and you just have to have a browser. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm sure they're going to love the uh, the licensing cost hit. The, uh, the CapEx on, on the licensing ought to be fun for them. So CapEx is one of those words I had to learn when I yeah. wanted something or when I needed something to actually make something work. It's like, well, how is that going to fit into our ROI and our CapEx? And I'm like, how's it going to do what to who? <laughs> <laughs> and what's the return on our investment for a capital expenditure? Do you have the near present value for that uh, that purchase you want to make? Right. What's the seven-year line look like? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's I, the payback here? I stopped I stopped doing work hours ago. So let's move on to games on GitHub. And I'm doing these out of order for no particular reason. A list of open source games and game-related projects that can be found on GitHub. You, you've been spending, what, like all your time on GitHub lately? <laughs> I love GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so. It's great. Old school text adventures, educational games, 8-bit platform games, browser-based games, indie games, game jam products, add-ons, maps, hacks, plugins for commercial games, libraries, frameworks, engines, you name it. They can all be found on GitHub. I could swear I saw a text. Oh, it was, uh, you know, the Ziosk things that they have in restaurants? Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure I was at one of those. I can't remember the restaurant, but they had those things. It was probably an Applebee's or something like that. And it looked like they had a game you could play that was NetHack. <laughs> I, I am pretty sure it was a ripoff of NetHack. I wouldn't doubt it. And that will be interesting to anybody who still remembers what NetHack is. <laughs> yep. Yeah, this is a great great link. This is another one of those aggregation links. Uh, I think we had one here before on uh, system tools and, and stuff like that. And the games one, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. So I started flipping through it. And I'm like, oh, we gotta got to kind of share that. It's... Can't remember where I 
actually picked that up from. It's probably Twitter. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, all of these yeah, social, Twitter and GitHub. social media things that I don't do anymore and don't have time for and all, and all that kind of stuff. Well, I figure I get it. I see it like every once in a while. It's on one of the computer screens and it's like, oh, yeah, there it is. I'll, I'll click on it. <laughs> <laughs> it. You know, it might have even been on uh, Hacker News. That's probably where I found it. It probably got linked on Hacker News, which is well, another good resource for stuff. I really got to find some time to get back into the tech world. I just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should try. I got, you know, I installed the, speaking of uh, open source. Oh, wait, no, I got Microsoft here. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I installed SQL Server uh, 2016 on my Ubuntu box. Oh, very nice. Express. It, That's it the free one, right? I have no idea what it installs. I just followed the the, the installation oh, guide. It's for the RC, so it's whatever. Right. Oh, very cool. I think it's probably just the developer edition. Yeah. So they'll you- probably figure the whole licensing thing out. So, anyways, it's it's a it's a boondoggle though. They basically have their own a sort of virtual state machine that uh, sits in between uh, Linux and uh, SQL Server. So it's actually not written for Linux. Yeah, well, there was a nice article on Register <laughs> on the Register about it. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, man, it really works really well, and uh, it, it's not too bad." I, I haven't done any you know, performance stuff on it, but uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, you know it's a la uh, you know packages like Snap or uh, what's the uh, what's the other app image or they have their own kind of app image thing or Docker image. The Docker image, yeah, yeah. It's kind of just a emu- slight emulation layer. But that's kind of cool, though. If they can kind of rip that kind of performance out of a out of a virtual type, uh, you know, emulator, you know, it, it could mean a lot of a uh, lot of stuff coming back and forth between Windows and Linux. Well, with the the whole Docker thing, where everything is sort of para virtualized, and there's it's basically at um, sort of line speed for for the machine, so that you don't get any real loss uh, because of the way virtualization works now. There's not a lot of overhead, like in the hypervisor or anything, so you can do things yeah. like that. Yeah, like, yeah, it definitely opens up possibilities. I'd like them like them to put Visual Studio and uh, SQL Server Management Studio and <laughs> that kind of thing, and then I can you know freaking uninstall Windows 10. <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> Anyways, good. I digress. We well, got something I, else here from GitHub. My uh, uh, my company is moving their billing system over from something that's based on uh, AS400 and OS2 <laughs> to. Uh, <laughs> Souza, there you go. So that's that's a nice thing. Yeah, that's a little upgrade. All right. So yeah, your other thing. That other thing. Uh, let's see. I had the SSH, which now my stupid Etherpad won't scroll up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this other I thing about Etherpad. Radio Free Linux. Oh, that was that was uh, Cheryl. Well, Cheryl. Oh, Cheryl's going to read the Radio Free Linux thing. Yeah. All right. So oh, okay. Cheryl gets to wake up now that she has a mouthful. Of course. Sorry. <laughs> I need to even find that in the. Uh, where the heck is that? Radio Free Linux, right in the middle. There it of, is. Yeah. Sorry, scanned above it. Sorry, I was shopping on Amazon. You guys threw me for a loop. There. <laughs> <laughs> so. Any good Cyber Monday deals? Hold on. Uh, yeah, no, not really. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I was that's, scanning through. So that's been my consensus today. No, I found a couple. I didn't buy them, but they were decent. Oh. Yeah, but anyway. So I would like to point out that this article was actually emailed to me by a friend of ours, Dr. Matthews, who is a fellow computer geek, not a radio nerd. He's working on it, though, apparently. So anyway, but he thought that this would be perfect for tonight's podcast. So anyway, uh, Radio Free Linux, you would have a difficult time today finding a radio station that was all live 
and they'll not have some kind of computerized automated means of storing and playing audio. And the story is from Linux Journal, of course. Yeah, they go into like all the tools and stuff like that, that there aren't a lot of Linux-specific broadcast tools for running a radio station. Although they did mention that some consoles have are basically uh, baked in, you know, embedded Linux and stuff like that. And I was kind of thinking, I was like, you know, just finding the like little jingle players and stuff like that. It's kind of hard to find a specific version for Linux. You know, there's plenty of audio, digital audio workstation software, but uh, when it comes to doing uh, you know radio clips or looping, you have stuff like what DJ software. Like mix, and, yeah, mix, yeah. and there's uh, Ardour, which is a DAW. DAW, yeah. I was trying to think, what else was there? Uh, uh, I think mix was like the closest thing I found. I guess you could use uh, OBS or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but you couldn't really create like a playlist, loop it, and then insert audio and stuff like that. Well, that's what mix does. You can do that with mix. Yeah, yeah, mix allows you to do voiceover and stuff like that. So that'd be the closest thing. But there's, of course, you know, a ton of ton of Windows programs to do that. I have one on my other laptop called like Radio DJ or something like that, and you can do all kinds of random stuff. It has a MySQL backend too on it, which is interesting. All right, very cool. Kind of interesting article. And the last thing in this area was the uh, the SSH E S A M E. I think it's like SSH SSME SSH like Open Sesame. Oh, it's probably supposed to be Sesame. Sesame, maybe maybe that's it. I was trying to figure a way to say it right. <laughs> I couldn't Sesame do it. Sesame sounds and, good, so. And, and this kind of made it, I was almost deleted it because this one made its way around the podcast. Oh, come well, on. We, we can't, we, we have, have to, this is an we S- have to uh, address the elephant in the room. If it, if it was open source, it could be open Sesame, right? We just ah. said that. <laughs> Did you not just say that? No. Who just open said open Sesame? Sesame? No, we just said Sesame. <laughs> right, but not, well, not open Sesame. Open Sesame. Yeah. Open no, somebody Sesame. just said. And the three of us, and it wasn't me. Well, it must have been Bill then, because it wasn't me. Yeah, I did say open, open yeah. sesame. Oh, yeah. open sesame. I didn't, I didn't say open sesame or whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> so so right. I, I didn't quite make the pun. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. So this is a this is kind of cool for if if you kind of want to watch people log into your system and log it and see what passwords they use and see what brute forcing they try and what programs they run. But basically, this is an SSH daemon that allows everyone to log in and logs their activity including their user authentication parameters and everything else. So, uh, or activity or whatever. I have to fix that. Who's going to fix that? Like I said, yeah. it did make its way around, uh, around to the other, uh, podcasts, but, uh, it kind of, it's kind of cool, cool to play with. And if you're, if your, uh, router gets hit by a lot of, uh, port 22 stuff at home, you know, set up something tiny and, uh, have this running, just answering it up and, and, and see what, uh, see what you can collect. <laughs> So it doesn't actually allow logins, right? It's just a honeypot. Yeah, it doesn't do anything. It just sits there and it just logs everything to file, basically. Right, it's a honeypot. Okay, so... Yeah, honeypot, yeah. Yep, all right. So there you go. <laughs> I get enough of that crap out of fail to ban. fail to ban works well for logging all the people who try and hack into my system, so... Yeah. Plus it then uh, locks them out for a predefined period of time, and then they start hacking again. <laughs> so... Why don't you just lock them out completely? I could. Oh, you, you could. You could leave it in IP tables or whatever, and just or whatever. What you just like to mess with them? Whatever firewall you use. Well, I usually let them log in, you know, a few times, and then lock them out for like a day, because usually a bot will, after a certain point, stop trying. You know, 
and besides, if they only hit it five times in a day, it's not like it's using a lot of system resources or anything like that. Whatever. <laughs> and I still don't have to deal with it. You know, fail to ban takes care of all that for me. So, yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to Linux in the ham shack. We'll talk about Fedora 25, <laughs> I guess, which is interesting because I was just mentioning before the show that I still have sort of out of band management on a uh, machine running Fedora Core 4, which is still live and in production right now <laughs> in my environment. But uh, apparently we've gotten all the way to 25. And this is uh, hot off the presses. Yes, uh, sir. Yes, sir. CQR log, FLTG, FreeDB, HamLib, they're all in this release. WSJTX uh, had to be downloaded from the site directly, Bill says. I assume this is because you've actually tried this. And I know you tried them all. So yeah. um, you install them no problem with uh, the RPM. Uh, you chose the Mate with Compass spin. Is Compass still a thing? Doesn't Isn't comp, you know compositing and stuff already built into all these desktops? Uh, apparently not. Wow, that's that's kind of wild. You did the live DVD and installed it in a virtual box environment. Uh, you did not, or it did not, install the VBox editions out of the box. That's a new Ubuntu thing. Ubuntu likes to do that. Fedora still is not doing that, apparently. Uh, it does install eventually. You just need to put in the, uh, I think, just the kernel devel package. Oh, and then it does it for you? Uh, yeah, and then you can run the VBox uh, editions script. Right, because it has to build the modules. So yeah, Ubuntu builds it in. It builds it in by default. By so you default, don't don't right. even have to do it. Yeah. All right, so very cool. Mate with Compiz spin of Fedora twenty five hot off the presses, and you like this one a lot apparently. And uh, did it have the the uh, CQR log SQL issue? Nope, nope. That uh, installed MariaDB and it uh, ran like a champ right out of the box. Uh, so at least it's been fixed there. Yeah, what else can I say about it? You know, I originally started the review on this one as a as a Chapeau twenty four, <laughs> which was Fedora twenty four, some other kind of variant flavor of Fedora, and then I did Fedora twenty four to compare it, and then I noticed that oh, Fedora twenty five just released, so let me torch all this crap because <laughs> I was getting nowhere with it anyway. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I installed Fedora twenty five and. Yeah, it looks it looks good. It looks like it's uh, definitely viable with Mate and, and Compiz. I think the Compiz is basically gives you the uh, you know some of the uh, uh, effects and stuff like that that uh, Mate doesn't really have out of the box. So it allows you to, uh, to to put that in there. Were you able to spin your cube? You know, I didn't try any of that. <laughs> like I said, I was in the virtual box, and you know, it's neutered enough as it is. Well, that's but the it, big it definitely thing. definitely ran good. That's the big thing when you get Compiz running. It's you get your desktop layout set into the 3D cube, and then you spin the yeah. cube around. So I remember that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't get to that point. I was just trying to get it for ham radio stuff, and it definitely looks like it's ready to do it. So uh, I would definitely check it out. If, you, if you've been away from Fedora and you want to check something different out, uh, you might want to go back and take a look at it. Isn't it uh, Torvalds' uh, favorite uh, distribution? Well, I hadn't heard that, but it could be, I suppose. I'm not sure why. I've heard, I've heard that before somewhere. I, I can't remember if it's true or not. <laughs> do they do they build for ARM? Uh, yeah, I think they do. All right, very good. Do they build for S390? I uh, bet they don't. Uh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I bet uh, you if you go to the website and you do look at it, they might. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I gotta kill something on this box. <laughs> like uh, it's unhappy. Well, speaking of unhappy, you can tell us about your second try at Antergos. <laughs> hey, yeah. Hey, there we go. I wasn't quite as unhappy with it. 
my uh, 20th installation attempt. No, it's probably like my sixth. Uh, it, it went through fine uh, because I, I didn't start checking off all that other stuff that looks so fancy when you run the installer. You know, there's a bunch of extra options you can run just by default. Uh, I said, well, I'm just going to have whatever was default checked. I can't remember what, even what that was. And then I checked the AUR support so I can get the uh, you know additional packages and stuff like that. I did CQR log, WSJTX. Uh, did run into issues with FL Digi. However, I I installed it like a day later and it worked fine. <laughs> Packaging seems brittle, very brittle. And uh, yeah, currently there was an issue with uh, LibReadLine uh, because they uh, upgraded it to 7.0, but everything's still linked back to 6.0. This is exactly what Ike talks about when he's doing Solus and why it's so important to control all of that <laughs> so you don't screw the user uh, and mess every package in the system up when you decide that you really need to change out this you know, core library that everything depends on. Um, so yeah, it earned a score in the 2.6 range, probably lower. If I, if I rebooted it again and it didn't work, it'd start losing points every time I reboot. The package installation was, uh, you know, it's it's... It's basically compiling stuff from source using the AUR uh, packages. I guess that's normal. I, I've never used it before, so it was different. I, I did a YouTube thing on it, so if you want to watch paint dry, you can watch packages install. <laughs> <laughs> I sure why not. Yeah, exactly. It, it was, I was bored. I was like, I'll just do this. Well, they're already <laughs> listening, listening to paint dry, listening to this, so they could just go to YouTube and continue. Yeah, yeah, you might as well yeah, keep, keep right. the party going. Uh, to back up just a little bit, you gave Fedora 25 uh, an LHS readiness score of 4.6. We didn't mention that. And that's out of oh, 5, yeah, so it's very, very high. Very, very high. So, um, Yeah, I think it, uh, it could be a daily driver. And I know, um, I don't think we gave Antrigos a, a readiness score last time because neither one of us got actually got it to, you know, to a point of stability where we could actually use it. But this time you actually were able to give it a score. Yeah, I mean, 2.6 I thought was reasonable. You know, it is, it does work. Um, you can get some stuff to work in it. <laughs> there, there are amateur radio packages, and you can get the latest. It's, it's you do get a variety of stuff when you dip into the AUR stuff. So uh, you know, it, it is kind of like uh, you know, caveat emptor on that. You, you want to be uh, <laughs> be careful which packages you choose. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it could work if you're an Arch fan. You probably hate me even talking about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just won't say anything more. It's just it's not uh, it's not something I would actually run just because of the issues I've seen with the stability. You know, it's just I couldn't I couldn't have something. Yeah, I boot it the next day. It does some update and it, it's gone. It, it'd be almost like running Windows. All right. Well, speaking of uh, update problems and things like that, I it seems like I am a magnet for weird things to happen when I upgrade machines. And today I upgraded a machine that I was running Asterisk on, and I upgraded it, if you can believe this, from Debian 6 to Debian 9, which actually went surprisingly well. But there was one weird problem where apparently the stretch version of LibEdit is too new to be compatible with the version of Asterisk that's installed on Stretch. Mm. And it causes one weird side effect which is if you connect to the asterisk cli with that newer version of libedit installed on your machine if everything you type spits out unicode characters like unicode values not the actual unicode character <laughs> it shows like slash u dash four four nine six one like when you type s 
and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, interesting. That is interesting. And the way I had to fix it was using app pinning so I could get the slightly older version of libedit. Uh, and that took care of the problem. But yeah, that's a weird one. <laughs> so I'm not sure when that's going to be resolved. But if you're running Debian stretch and asterisk, just uh, bear that in mind, I guess. All right. So we can move on and talk a little bit about uh, some other stuff. We these uh, Two of these topics were mentioned in a previous episode by someone in the chat room. Uh, we're going to get to those. But before we do, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, Bill's going to talk a little bit about cloud log. Oh, yeah. Cloud log. Cloud log is self-hosted peach cloud log <laughs> is a self-hosted php application that allows you to log your amateur radio contacts anywhere all you need is a web browser and active internet connection this is being actively developed by peter goodall 2e0sql he's on twitter that same handle and he's a pretty active uh, twitter guy uh follow him uh i installed this on uh my web server so it's up in the cloud no not really <laughs> <laughs> it's up at dreamhost <laughs> I had a few issues with Google Maps, but that's just basically pushing a, a key into, into the, the JavaScript place where it loads it. So I uh, just threw the API key in there, and, and everything was working after that. I imported, uh, imported the uh, ADI file off of my uh, current logger, and it runs. It looks, it looks remarkably good. Uh, I have, have added a few extra uh, logs to it since then because I've done uh, sweepstakes and um, CQ Worldwide. Not like I did an effort, and I think I did two contacts in CQ Worldwide. <laughs> but I did turn the radio on. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty neat. You can, uh, you can use it as your, um, your logger directly. It does make exports for, um, for Logbook of the World if you want to you know, sign your own ADI files. I don't think it's, uh, you know, it's not like auto-signing like you know, a desktop application would allow you. But it has uh, the ability to import, export out EQSL. Logbook of the World. It has an API in case you want to write an application against it. It has a ward tracking. It has really interesting statistics pages. It's, it's kind of neat. It's uh, not bad. There is a plugin for it to do uh, rig control, and I'm assuming this is if you run it on your local machine, probably. I, I can't assume, can't think that through the browser you could access serial devices without exposing some level of permissions in the browser itself. And I would assume the drivers would have to be loaded locally, but um, I haven't really flushed that out. But there is a link to that as well. It's called RigCat or uh, something like that. CloudCat. CloudCat, sorry. Yep. (laughs) My browser is acting really weird right now. I need to restart it. (laughs) It's so slow. I can't flip between tabs. So uh, yeah, yeah, check it, check it out. It's it it looks pretty cool, and uh, I know you were looking for you know something to log online. You showed us that other program that uh, I said looked like a 1999 website or something like that. Yes, uh, a few we, a few shows ago, maybe even it was the last show. It's been so long ago. Um, but uh, yeah, this is uh, really polished and clean, and uh, and uh, well worth it if if you're looking at kind of hosting your own log and uh, and then, you know maybe just want to. Have it have it kind of stored off somewhere where you can kind of go look at it. You can generate map files and I think a bunch of other other cool little features and stuff like that. But it is limited because it is based upon you know web technology, so it's not quite a you know a built-in application you know feel. Uh, but it is it is quite zippy. Did you and, say what the uh, backend was? The storage backend? It's MySQL. It is MySQL. I th- yeah, I think you can use uh, probably Postgres or anything that PHP has a driver for. I would think you could use. 
I'm not going to say, but... <laughs> well, if that's the case, you could probably use uh, flat files or SQLite or... Uh, yeah, you could probably use whatever. I mean, I, I use uh, MySQL because I have that. So it's, right. That's what, what I chose. But, well, that's uh, very good. Yeah, the installation is quick and simple. Um, yeah, I would assume anything PHP compliant would work. All right, sounds good. I'm definitely going to check that out because I was actually hoping to get around to writing one that did basically what that one does at some point, and obviously I did not, or at least not before someone else got to it first. I'll check out and see what Peter has done because it sounds very interesting. Uh, yeah, we, yep, we talked about actively developing it too. So. Yeah, very cool. And I see he has other uh, collaborators on there too, who uh, who are yeah. at least building parts of it and stuff or uh, integrating their own technology. So sounds good. Uh, we did we did mention Splat in I think the last episode, or at least talked a little bit about it. Um, RF signal propagation loss and terrain analysis tool for the electromagnetic spectrum uh, between twenty meg and twenty gig. Written by KD2BD, Kilo Delta 2, Bravo Delta. Um, we talked a little bit about what it does and everything. It was brought up by someone in the chat room. And uh, I was hoping to do a little bit of a deeper dive into it, but I have not had a chance to look at it. So have you looked at it? Uh, I looked at it just briefly for uh, putting the uh, the link in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Then we should probably just put that one off till next time when we can actually both take a real good look at it. I know we talked about some of the people who used it. Uh, and I know NASA was one of the the names that came up as a, oh, okay, a yeah, of people Splat, who actually yeah. Used it. yeah. I was almost thinking there was like something else out there too when I was reading about it. I was like, uh, there was something else out there that does exactly the same thing using Google Terrain Maps, and I I, I I didn't have time to look for it. But yeah, we should probably just hold both of these till next time. We can talk about maybe a, a couple different things very related to uh, Splat, and then also predict which is. Uh, basically a satellite tracking yeah that sounds good we'll leave that as a uh, a teaser for next time so you can look forward yeah. to to an actual intelligent discussion of splat and predict uh, on the next episode uh, or at least uh we can hope so somebody this, else is hosting this thing? yeah i guess so yeah we'll, we'll be gone on vacation and someone else will be here to actually discuss yeah, it, yeah right? be, uh... <laughs> all right so in the meantime uh we're gonna take a quick break here and get to the music for the uh for the program this time and uh i know i've generated a few yawns over the past episodes for my slow and i don't know meticulous choices of music the last uh, couple of episodes uh so i'm gonna overcompensate this time and uh, put out some thrash metal how's that <laughs> there you go all right so um i found some new music from this russian group called avenger kills uh, the song is called Hangover. It came out in November of 2016, like a week ago, or 10 days ago. Uh, this was actually put up on Gemendo. Uh, I listened to uh, several of their tracks. It's actually very good. It's uh, very much like old-school thrash. It sounds a lot like Megadeth, if you're familiar with them. So uh, they're from Yaroslav in Russia. Uh, runs about four and a half minutes. And as I said, this one's called The Hangover, so enjoy some... Uh, basic thrash metal and we'll see you in a few minutes
That's a long fade out. Yeah, when, when I first heard that, I was thinking Megadeth. And the second time I heard it, I was thinking Motley Crue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's somewhere in the middle there. At least no one should have fallen asleep. <laughs> At least I hope not. <laughs> well, of course, they were already asleep, but... <laughs> All right, Whatever. sorry. That song ended a little too quickly for me to get my chewing done. Getting now, candy. Candy, candy. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, my funny bones. Yes. <laughs> All right. We went to the movie yesterday, and they had one of the um, I don't know. I the Wonkinator. Probably, yeah, the Wonkinator. It's like a candy machine in the lobby where you can pick runts and sweet tarts and things like that. So we got uh, okay. uh, Chewy Spree. Skittles, funny bones, and banana runts. Just just the banana ones. Just the bananas. So, yeah, just the banana ones. Is that all we got? Uh sweet tarts. Sprees. No, we didn't get sweet tarts. Oh, we got spree. We got cheese spree. Spree, Skittles, banana runts, regular runts, funny bones. Oh yeah, we got regular runs too. So. Yeah. It's like uh, all break your teeth stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, much. except for the Skittles. <laughs> you know, they're the only soft thing. Oh, there's so. there you go. You can gum those after your teeth have already Yeah, there you That's go. Right. <laughs> I gotta say, one of my favorite candies, though, are Chewy Runts. Those are so good. I can't find them anymore. I know, they're hard to find, but... All right, so we're gonna move on. Anyway, I, I guess I should get back to the music briefly, just so we can uh, wrap that up. So that was a sort of hard rock, heavy metal... Uh, something. Something. Something along those lines. Uh, and again, it was called Hangover by Avenger Kills, a group out of Russia, uh, from the album Metal Child. Got that... From Jamendo was released in November of 2016, just uh, roughly a week ago. Woo-hoo. So, new music from them. They had uh, quite a few tracks on that album that were released on Jamendo, and they're all actually quite good if you're into that kind of music. So, maybe give them a try. Uh, we have been gone for some time, so we do not have any announcements or feedback uh, for this episode. Hopefully, we'll have some for next time. Send us your feedback. You know, give us a call, send us an email, you know, contact us via social media we'd love to hear from all of you folks out there we know there are people out there because we get three to four thousand downloads of this program every time we release it so i know somebody's listening i guess carrier pigeon would work too yeah i guess so <laughs> <laughs> unless if maybe one way or the other we'll get your yeah. message that's right <laughs> unless there's an owl flying around from hogwarts or something somewhere <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. But uh, information on how you can contact us is at the website, and we'll give you all the rundown here during the outro. But uh, since we don't have any announcements or feedback for this episode, we're going to move right on to Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Yeah, Cheryl was lazy today. Russ got leftover pizza. So I am actually, I have slacked off on my, I'm going to fix whatever I feature on the podcast for dinner before the show. So I pulled out a recipe that I'm pretty sure Russ likes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yeah, I just heard him. Mm-hmm. So um, 20 years ago, my dad gave me a cookbook for the paste picante sauce, I believe. And it had a re- it had this specific recipe in it. I flipped through it. This was the only thing that really reached out and grabbed me and said, fix me. So I fixed it one evening for dinner. Everybody at the table raved about it. So it earned a regular spot in our meal plans because this was one of dad's favorite things. I don't fix it very often, but I do fix it occasionally. Usually Russ will walk through and go, hey, why don't you fix that tonight for dinner? And I usually pair it with the Mexican cornbread that I did for episode number 169. Anyway, my recipe tonight is for Mexican lasagna. It involves hamburger, corn, 
tomato sauce, picante sauce, chili powder, cumin, some cottage cheese. New York City! Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Cottage cheese, eggs, parmesan, oregano, garlic salt, flour tortillas, and shredded cheddar or some sort of Mexican blend of, of shredded cheese. And you put this together exactly like you would an Italian lasagna as well, except you're using the tortillas as the noodles. So the instructions and everything will be in the uh, show notes so you can fix this for dinner. And I'm sure Russ, now that I've featured this, will (laughs) be requesting Mexican lasagna for dinner. Oh, he's leaving, so that that saves me a week or so of it. So uh, I won't ask you in the next week or two. Uh, probably not till after the first of the year to to wow. make Mexican lasagna. But, okay. But I would highly recommend that if you're going to make the Mexican lasagna, you definitely want to pair it with the Mexican cornbread. They do go very very well. Well together, together yes. Yep. Very good. So try that out if you like. If you uh, want a little Mexican flavor, and like I said, definitely do the Mexican cornbread. Do them both together. Uh, they're both like casseroles. You cook them both in casserole dishes or in uh, baking dishes, so you can put them both in the oven at the same time. And or you, I guess you have to stagger them slightly because the cornbread cooks faster. But yeah, yeah, well, no, the cornbread is actually cooked at a lower temperature, so it takes longer than the uh, the Mexican lasagna. But you can yeah, you can kind of temperatures adjust. and yeah, yeah, and so. get get them to come out at the same time. So. So give that a try, and uh, if you do try it, let us know what you think of it, because uh, it's one of my favorites, and uh, we'd like to hear how everybody else uh, likes it. We Actually, I'd be curious to know if anyone actually tries any of these recipes. Yeah, that would be ex- you know, <laughs> It would be kind of nice to know. Yeah. But. <laughs> Maybe I'm just boring everybody to death with this. No, so. I don't think that's the case. Okay. But, so. All right. So moving on, we're going to go to our social media roundup. Woo-hoo. Yay. Next. All right. So starting this out, it's our donations and subscriptions, which Jonas Rulio, Jeremy Hall, Michael Connolly, Scott Pettigrew, Bob Yerke, Paul Griffith, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Brian Smith, Robert Halliday, Ben Schram, Michael Halo, John Clark, Rob Branch Dash, Edward Donnelly, Donald Gover, Alan Wilson, Stephen Sainer. Dylan Angle, James Blocker, Mike Lasky, Darren King, Petra Karsakis, Donna Farron, Bill Stearns, Bill Piotr, Robert Pitts, Jeff Cannell, and John Fotchke have contributed to our show. Yay! Yay! On Facebook, which uh, we've got a, a fairly big list this time, uh, of course it's been a month, so uh, Timothy Lutz, Willem Bosch, Walter Billingham, Roy Brockman, Mason Deeb, Eric Oyen, Sean Townsend, Kevin Numbers, Greg Williams, and Scott Haley scooted in under the line just a few hours ago. So <laughs> welcome aboard, everybody. And then we have on Google Plus, we have Kevin Luke, Nathan Wolf, Hugo Repetto, Chris uh, Giver. Is that right? Sure. Well, no, I can't tell if that's an I or an It's probably L. a Gwiver. And Badar Al-Hadramay. Uh, I know I just butchered <laughs> that severely. Badar so. Aladrami, probably, or something like probably, that. Probably, yeah. yeah. I'm from Missouri. <laughs> you gotta cut me some stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, on Twitter, we have at ABKBSD, at KB2YSI, at MGTCGIMP, at ES6JAN, 
at Dipoles USA at Alex and I67. That's an L, actually. It's oh, sorry. Alex L6- and L67. Right. So. Sorry. All right. Yeah. Again. It's the font. It, 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 it is the font. It's very hard for me to. Um, at Jay Baston, at Toxic style. Plague, uh, at Ham, Ham Radio Trash, at OBE1968, at APRS Pro, at AKECBAUM, and at Sturgeon Kent. On YouTube, we have Jeremy Bakke, and I'm not sure if I've never asked Jeremy if that's how he pronounces his last name, uh, at uh, Jester. And at Daniel Vincent, and nobody joined the mailing list. And for merchandise sales, we had Rowan Fletcher. Yes, we had merch sales Ooh. yet again. So Ooh. thank you to Rohan, Rowan or Rohan. Uh, the last couple, well, no, we had one from Texas, and I think the t- this one and the one before that were both from Australia. So wow. And uh, Rowan bought our wall clock. So cool. very cool. So he has a Linux in the Hamshack wall clock for his wall. So thank you, Rowan, and thank you for everybody who's uh, joined our show one way or another, whether through social media or whether through contributing monetarily or buying some of our merchandise, which also contributes monetarily. So thank you very much. It does keep the show rolling. We're down at the end. There hasn't been any activity in the chat room. Everyone's currently asleep. And that's because we've gone way, 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 way long. We'll uh, push the button here for the outro, and then, yeah, I can start the outro. So, uh, this has been episode 179 of Linux in the Ham Shack, and you can be an LHS ambassador. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or Ham Fest. We love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info, comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter, or leave a voicemail for us at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. 547 7469 Visit our IRC channel, Octothorpe LHS Podcast, on the Freenode Network. There's usually someone in there to chat with most uh, of the time, day or night. You can also subscribe to our mailing list. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts to wall clocks can be purchased at www.cafepress.com stroke LHS podcast. You can also help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. And that sends us a little bit of a donation each time you do it. And it doesn't cost you anything at all except a moment or two of your time. You can listen to us live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock central time. That's Tuesday at 0200 Zulu, since we're now in the wintertime, or 0100 when we get back to summertime. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. Check us out at lhspodcast.info for everything you ever wanted to know about the show. Thank you to all of our listeners live and quasi-live, past, present, and future. Visit us in the chat room and visit us live when we record. It's always a lot of fun, and we hope to see you there in a future episode. So... Saying good night for episode 179 is me, Russ, K5TUX, and Cheryl. Good night, everyone. And from out in gloomy gray sky country, Montana, Bill, NE4RD. 73, everyone. And we'll see you again in a couple of weeks' time. Take care, everybody. Night, night.
berries, uh, 